Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. And I'm Vanity Fair's TV critic, Sonia Soraya. So for those of you just joining Still Watching somehow in episode two of Succession, uh, what we do on this podcast is we pick a show uh, and we follow it through the season episode by episode. Uh, we break down what happened, theories, we respond to uh, listener uh, emails, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. And on occasion, like today, we have uh, interviews with people who worked on the show. Um, so yeah, we are in episode two of Succession. We really are in, um, you know, getting into the, the meat of this season, it feels like. Um, in a very exciting episode that I feel like, would you classify this as a bottle episode, Sonia? It's not quite, but it's all one location for at least a lot of the characters. Yeah, it. it I guess it's not technically a bottle up because people do leave like the set, but it does have that quality of like, everyone is just like, sh- like in the, uh, the siblings are all in the apartment and they're like kind of forced to all deal with each other. Um, and that I really liked that quality uh, too. Yeah, because I was thinking about it. It's not that often that we see the four children alone mm-hmm. together talking mm-hmm. about whatever, you know, because it's usually like like someone else is there that they're kind of bouncing off of. But this is just the four of them together, which felt kind of rare. Yeah, I was actually impressed that Connor was invited. <laughs> I, just, I, know. <laughs> I was I, I was not I was not expecting it. But yeah, so at the very end of, uh, you know, the last episode, we see Shiv, um, like in the car, it definitely looks like she's sending her car to Kendall's apartment. And then it turns out in this episode that Kendall has kind of called all four of them or sort of summoned them with his personal magnetism um and then the other thing that's interesting about this episode which i think adds to that sort of sense of like um heightened tension is that we're all we're still kind of in the same day it's all the same night um so the you know the first episode was like during that day and then they they land in new york uh greg and and greg and kendall are in that car while logan and everyone else are flying around and then this is like the night that everyone makes it to New York and Jerry's in the office, like in the Waystar Royco office, like settling into her new digs and everyone sort of uh, converged on Kendall's apartment. So I really liked that sense of immediacy. Yeah, I'm curious how long they can sustain that sort of not real time exactly. But you know, like how much of this, like, are we going to have any sort of time jumps coming up like a week from now or whatever? I I assume we'll have to, but I think that like to to reintroduce us to the new season, especially when it's been so long since we had the last one, it feels good to just kind of roll into it at such a sort of unbroken pace. Uh, so um, we're going to get kind of we're going to go character by character. I think that we've decided that's the best way to kind of cover this sprawling, um, you know, opera of stories. Um, 
We are also going to hear, uh, Sonia, you have a conversation with Alan Ruck, uh, who plays Connor. And I think he's not a huge part of this episode, but um, I think he serves a really kind of vital purpose uh, in it. So I'll be curious to hear that conversation. Um, so should we, where do you want to start? Do you think, I think Kendall's probably a good place to start, right? Yeah, I think, I think Kendall's where we should start because I think what was fun about, one of the things that was fun about this episode um, is that, um, you know, last, last week it was Logan that sort of was like at the center of all of this drama. And this week it's Kendall who sort of pulled everyone into his, um, into his orbit. Um, he's, he's definitely still feels a little unhinged to me, but I felt, I think something that I really enjoyed was that by the time that he got the siblings together, he's kind of making this interesting case for like, I mean, it's sort of like he's, he's making a case for like a moral philosophy of the universe that's like different from what his fathers presented them. Um, and the ways that they all respond, which is like so skeptical and hostile, even I think um, was like so indicative of of how deeply rooted um, whatever Logan's values are in all of them, even though they're also damaged. Um, it was such an it was such an interesting moment. And then, of course, Kendall also does it poorly. Like he, you know, I think that he's he's the he's in the right. Like he's right about this cruise ship crisis. Like he's right that that was the wrong, you know, that was like a bad thing that happened. But he's also like, you know, a like someone who literally killed someone in the first season and he's out here sort of advocating for like you everyone else needs to do the right thing. Um I really, uh, I thought it was interesting also that as the siblings, the, his siblings kind of turn him down, he uh, goes completely, like, just starts saying things that are, like, so inappropriate, so toxic. Um, and I thought, I, I was, I, I really felt like, I think that was, like, to me, all very indicative of, like, it doesn't matter. Like, Kendall Kendall still has so much he needs to, like, figure out for himself. He even makes this joke about how he has, like, it, you know, he, like, doesn't know how he feels about his dad, but he's going to outsource it to his therapist. Um, I, I was, like, I also don't think Kendall is actually in therapy, but I, I was just, like, very interested in him sort of, like... Uh, backgrounding or kind of like distancing himself from like clearly the really big issues that are going on like psychologically to sort of make it about um this sort of moral philosophy that he doesn't have a great handle on and then eventually you know this whole thing doesn't work yeah I, I, the, the portrait of him so far this season is so interesting because it courts sympathy or empathy or something mm-hmm. um because he's saying some things that like sound decent the problem is you kind of have to like audit where they're coming from and how sincere they are um you know on the one hand there's that sort of i, I don't know why i found this kind of heartbreaking but he <laughs> forget who's coming into the apartment but he's like oh so and so in the house like this kind of <laughs> you know kind of slightly antiquated cool guy turn of phrase that like made me think about like what Kendall was like in college. And I bet he kind of tried to be like one of the guys, you know, like clearly swaggering with the massive sense of entitlement and, and, and also plans to, you know, take over his father's empire. But like, I think there is an aspect of Kendall that's just trying to be like your run of the mill, like cool, decent guy, but he has no idea how to do it, you know? Um, And so here we have later when he's kind of making his pitch to his siblings, um, this, Thing that sounds better, certainly, you know, a more responsible, more contemporary company with, with you know, sort of adapting to the mores of the day way more than certainly Logan has. But he also talks about having a global media empire where they are the, you know, the chief source of information around the world, which is like mm-hmm. super villain evil. <laughs> right, right. There's, he's definitely like, he's drawn to that sort of self-aggrandizing grandeur even as he's sort of trying to argue like like and i think the siblings really are 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 really skeptical of him kind of for that reason you know i think that i sort of sympathize with kendall's 
uh, perspective because I feel like I, I appreciate how much he's sort of trying. But I totally hear you. He has this sort of like, you know, the way it makes me think is like a desperate bar mitzvah guy, like a like, you know, like the sort of like, I'm really going to make this party the coolest, like 13 year old yeah. party ever. Like he has this sort of weirdly, uh, weirdly needy energy. And, you know, the fur the, the thing that kind of breaks them apart, ultimately, is, you know, Shiv and Ro- and Roman in particular are being like, well, does that mean that you are going to be in charge? Like, so you're saying that dad's not going to be in charge, but are you putting yourself in that position? And he's like, oh, like, yeah, like, I think, like, I, I could, like, take on that role for a little while. Like, he sort of makes it sound like he's doing them a favor. And I think, like, r- like I think it's sort of frustrating how much everything becomes about personal power in this family. But I think also, rightly, they're like, we don't really see how that makes our lives different. Like, you're going to have to prove that you're actually, like, a more stable and more put-together person than our dad right now um, in order to, like, become our boss for, like, perpetuity. Yeah, and and I think a funny thing about Kendall that's been true since season one is that when it comes to his siblings, he seems constantly baffled that they don't see him as the heir apparent. Like, that, you know, he's like, but this is the narrative. And they they just refuse to accept that. And it just seems to, like, consternate him all the time. And he got so whipped up in this, like, you know, this big public press conference. He's, you know, flipped the dinner table over and he's ready to, like, you know, regime change, all that. And he just assumes that that means that Shiv and Connor and and Roman will just fall in line behind him. And then they're like, nope, <laughs> like we still don't want that, mm-hmm. you know. And and he's just like, so I, I don't know. I think that maybe is part of where the empathy comes in because, like, you just see this guy, like, knocking on the same door over and over and over again now for three you know well two seasons and a couple episodes and it's just refusing to open and you're just like kendall maybe try a different door but he doesn't you know no i guess he he needs this so bad and that's and i and i think honestly like if i were one of his siblings i think even the fact that he needed it so much would be kind of a red flag like you you know well, well. Anyway, my my sort of campaign for all of the succession kids to go to therapy is like a separate a separate issue. But I think um, there were so many really interesting tonal shifts throughout this um, throughout this whole conversation. Um, like, for example, um, something that interested me was that you know Shiv makes a joke about Roman says that Jer- it makes a joke that call refers to Jerry as a uh, Roman's mom. And he gets so upset that he has to, like, leave the room. And then Connor has to go get him. And f- I, f- I loved that because it's, like, actually a classic sort of family fight thing that, like, someone gets overwhelmed and someone has to go kind of retrieve them. Again, sort of has this, like, you know, like, middle school or high school energy to it, too. But then I also just appreciated that everyone's, everyone's like, most intimate issues are really being triggered by this power struggle. Yeah. And she says something also about his like sexual performance issues. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, that's obviously a sore spot for him. But then when he comes back, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. But yeah. Shiv says like, saw we, you know, in this kind of little <laughs> voice that clearly is maybe a voice that this family does. Like all families have those kind of ticks or whatever. And embedded in that, you're like, okay, is Shiv being a sociopath here? Is, is there, but I, I think there is a glimmer of these kids I'm even Connor yet like do see moments where like right and wrong are distinguished and they kind of know maybe from schooling if not their father or or, like something some portion of their lives in the world like have taught them like that is the right thing and it is good to apologize but like it's always masked under this other thing this irony or this you know belligerence whatever it is um and I think, you know, you see that with, with Kendall, where he's, like, talking about the, the, the cruise ship scandals, and he's like, we all knew, you mm-hmm. know? And he's he's inviting this moment of atonement, in a sense, but, and Connor kind of goes along with it, but the other two are just sort of like, oh, I mean, I mean, I had a hunch, I I, I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so we've gotten to a moral point on this show where, like, the good thing to do is to admit your complicity in a massive system <laughs> of, of, you know, sexual harassment and worse. Um, and they can't even do that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, let's talk about Connor. Uh, let's go yeah. through the siblings. Let's talk about Connor first, though, because um, I, I totally think you're right. Like there's there's this um, even even the language that that 
the 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 childish syllables of Sawi um, that Shiv uses. Every, they're in this very childish mode, but Connor is not. Connor is older. Connor has more. Um, he he's been doing this, whatever this is, being Logan Roy's kid for longer. Um, and so when we first see him in the episode, it's um, when he's he's back from his ba- from the Balkans. And it was so funny because we had talked about the his holding down the fort thing so much. And he was he was self-aware about that. You know, yeah. and he says to uh, on the phone, he says, oh, you mean Operation Thumb Twiddle? Um, and then makes a really funny joke. I, I mean, a, to me, very funny. He seemed more anguished about how he had to fly on a commercial plane with refrigerated cheese. <laughs> Um, he says uh scheduled a schedule I had to fly scheduled right like meaning right. like you know the masses that were that you you, you, <laughs> you you can't tell them what time to take off and he genuinely seems to be like it was miserable no he <laughs> seems really yeah. upset yeah so so you kind of you kind of start there with him which is kind of this this sort of like I don't know perhaps wounded pride maybe and then he shows up at Kendall's apartment and plays this sort of older brother role um throughout this conversation he you know he says we all knew and he he's trying to point out to to roman and to shiv who are both like very like we didn't know what did we know what did we really know um and he's he's trying to push a little bit more like i think you guys were more aware of the problems in this company than you realized um and and then uh is is in the room when i guess is the person who receives the donuts, the donuts that are sent from Logan. Um, I really thought it was so funny how they were all so unraveled by the donuts, um, where, which he deems to be probably safe to eat. Um, but it's funny because I think the donuts actually do end up influencing what happens right after that, because right after the donuts arrive, they're all back in the main room. And Connor says to Kendall, like, I can't, go with you know i can't do this with you um and kendall's like super super mean about it he gets super mean about everyone turning him down but what connor says ultimately is like this kind of antiquated idea that it's not i mean not that it's not it's definitely not not right to kill your father but he's sort of talking metaphorically and he he's like it's not right for me to go against my dad um, and that's the last we see of him in that episode. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a line where he says um, about the po- the you know poison donuts, where he's like, "You think he's going to send poison donuts to his where his granddaughters live or something?" Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a nice idea that Logan would even think that far. <laughs> but like, I don't. I mean, Kendall doesn't care about his kids. Like, I don't think Logan <laughs> cares about those kids. You know. Speaking of the kids, I thought it was a funny detail when they're in Sophie's room that it's like has a huge like walk-in closet. There's a terrace. You can see an ensuite bathroom in this little kid's uh, bedroom. I thought that was a very uh, accurate detail. Um, but yeah, Connor seems to have this like imaginary sort of Camelot notion of what the, the sort of nobility of his family or whatever, and and which is you know we have not seen any evidence of that really, um, and. Uh, yeah, I think him deciding to 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 not go with Kendall is partly owed to that fantasy. But I would guess that also underneath that, you know, knowing he was sent on Operation Thumb Twiddle and all that, is that like, and his play is a fiasco and all that, like, I think he's just not ready to get out from under that wing. You know, if he steps out with Kendall, like, yes, he'll be given some, you know, when they're talking about the division of, of global control over this media empire that kendall envisions kendall says to connor and you'll get the rest you know whatever that is and Mm -hmm. connor looks sort of like okay um i i I wonder i I bet that there is some psychology in there where he's just like i i know deep down i can't i can't actually handle real responsibility i can't go out on my own like i'm gonna be with this guy till he dies and then i'll inherit money and i'll probably just fade away you know yeah maybe um He definitely started out like the least ambitious of the siblings. And I think even now, even though he has had these other irons in the fire, um, very bizarre irons in the fire, he doesn't really seem that driven to prove himself at Waystar Royco, at least. Um, I don't, it's kind of, it's actually a little, um, it's a little 
satisfying to compared to the compared to the sort of naked ambition that like you sometimes will see come from Roman, for example, there's something about Connor that feels like very confident, but not confident. That's not the right word. Feel very comfortable, just kind of retreating. Um, but you know, it. I, I'm actually very curious if that will shift because uh, the first two episodes we've really hit this point a few times. Like. Connor's kind of useless. He's sort of off to the side. No one knows what to do with him. Operation Thumb Twiddle, whatever, whatever. Um, and I wonder if, you know, kind of being either either he might feel sort of frustrated by being labeled this way so much, or maybe other people around him might underestimate him. But I, I, I do think uh, there's something a little dangerous about saying, oh, this this guy, he's the oldest one. He's actually the one that's been in this environment the longest maybe um maybe he can't be written off so easily maybe he shouldn't be written off so easily yeah and there is something about like you know he's he's clearly financially dependent on his father he's reputationally dependent on his father and the family name yep. um in terms of his other projects his politics his producing whatever he's doing but he is in some senses freer than the other three kids because he doesn't have that like ambition to the particular throne, right? Right, right. And yeah. so he's kind of this volatile element who's like, obviously, he his his stake in it is the money, um, and some sense of loyalty. Yeah. But beyond that, like he's kind of a free agent, and so, uh, you know, he he obviously has shares, so he's it's worth like having him in your corner just for numbers. But there's something else there too that's interesting, um, which I think might be a good point to cut to your conversation with uh, Alan Ruck, who plays Connor. Yes, for sure. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. hoping to talk to you about episode two okay let's see what i can recall <laughs> i know it's got to be a difficult position because you guys did this all so long ago and it all cut, comes as a bulk right for you we did, it, we did it in chunks i mean some of it we did i think in um november of last year and then i, I remember we did another piece of it at some later date and we're like what are we doing oh right right <laughs> Was it harder? I mean, I imagine it's always hard when uh, production's interrupted, but do you feel, it, it seems like you feel close to Connor. You don't seem to have a, a, a you don't seem estranged from his feelings. No, I, I mean, I, uh, scarily, he might be him, <laughs> written him close to who I am. They're just like, <laughs> just make it be like Ruck. <laughs> He's um well in episode 2 um the thing that I um I think one of the things I really liked about Connor in that in that episode is that um you know Kendall brings everyone to his apartment and uh wants to kind of um I guess strategize kind of wants everyone over on his side and um Connor I think is is so unique with all the siblings you know he's older he's kind of a little bit more detached from the the sort of power dynamics that are at play and he really doesn't need to be the ceo in order to like feel okay about himself and that really is different from the other siblings do you think i'm right about that yeah i do i mean i think he he's got this grand plan you know for high political office but i actually don't think he, he he'd care to run Waystar Royco. I don't think he'd really be interested in doing that at all. You know, he, he seems to be the most content at kind of being like a little bit removed from. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do think it's starting to weigh on him that he, he has never had a job and he has no place to go and nobody needs him to show up to do anything. So I think that's starting to, yeah. to eat at him a little bit, you know, and so he's trying to, you know, pursue this political thing. Yeah. I, I did think he 
had showed some interesting self-awareness out of the whole holding down the Balkans thing, which was such a obviously like made up task. And then, you know, you're on the phone um, with Brian Cox's character, Logan, and Connor's like, yeah, Operation Thumb Twiddle <laughs> with my, and then the scheduled flight with the refrigerated cheeses. Connor, Connor was on a low point. <laughs> yeah, poor Connor had to suffer through commercial first class. Yeah. I let you know it's a cross to bear for all of us. <laughs> Heart bleeds for a minute. Um, so I think that the the thing that um, I think the the thing I wanted to really ask you about was just his relationships to the other siblings in this moment of profound change. Um, something that I often forget because Kendall so often ends up um, being like the most like forceful character is that Connor's actually the oldest and he's kind of been a Roy for the longest. He might have the most experience of all of them on how to deal with their dad. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I think you're going to see some more of that as time goes on. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, that sort of dynamic and, you know, making them aware that um, he, he does in fact have something to offer in terms of all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, um, he, you know, he is detached partially, uh, partially his own doing. I mean, um, the thing about Kendall at this point is that um, it, it becomes apparent pretty quickly that he's, he's really, he slipped a cog and he uh, uh, coming from a guy who's delusional and, and has no plan. I mean, he has no plan. He just wants to be president. He has no idea how to do any of it. Yeah. But it's, it's clear even to Connor that, that uh, uh, Kendall's just, you know, he's just taking pot shots at things. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just flying by the seat of his pants and um, talking a big game. Yeah. And it, he's really, he seems to be in such an emo- different emotional register from Kendall in that whole scene. And then at the end, he says that he's not interested in joining Kendall because um, it's not right to kill your father is what, is what he says. Um, I was curious. Um, I was curious about that line a little bit because no one's asking him to kill his father, but there's clearly some sort of like, I don't know. He kind of seems to have like a Connor has this sense of like chivalry or something that he's calling to. Well, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I, you know, I, I think when push comes to shove, he'll always come down on the side of the old man. I mean, even though, even the, uh, though uh, Logan burned him at the end of season two and, and told him he was an embarrassment and mm. so forth. I just think, I think there's something it's like, uh, I, I don't really want to take orders from my younger brother However smart he might be, I just, you know, the ego, something gets involved and it's just like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. They all have so much pride and it it really does prevent all of the siblings from working together a little bit more closely. Uh, Something also really funny is that the donuts thing happens in this episode where Logan sends the donuts. And I really felt as if maybe Logan sending the donuts did kind of influence everyone a little bit, like did kind of spook everyone. Oh yeah. He got, he knew, he knew exactly where we were. He knew exactly what we were doing and he knew how to get under everybody's skin, you know? And they're they're probably safe to eat, but no one's sure. (laughs) No. And, uh, you know, it's just like our, our father has eyes and ears everywhere. And, um, you know, and you just figure that he's always going to be a couple of steps ahead of Kendall. Yeah. Do you got, have you guys established exactly what the age difference is between, uh, Connor and Kendall? Well, let's say, I mean, I'm playing younger than I actually am. I'm, let's say I'm playing about, about 10 years younger than I am. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Say I'm about 55. Uh-huh. Um, so my uh, my dad divorced my mother when I was, say, eight, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, eight or nine. So at least 45 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, Kendall's just now celebrating his 40th birthday. So I think I'm 15 years older than him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so maybe 17 or 18 years older than uh Roman and then about 20 years older than Shiv. That's that's such a like it's a genuinely a generational difference. Like you have 
such a different perspective on the family that they do. It's funny because on the opening credits, they kind of make you guys look the same age, but clearly there's a difference, uh, a big shift there. Um, and another moment that I think really speaks to that sh- that difference in this episode is when um, Shiv makes fun of Roman so much that he has to leave the room. And then Connor, and I, I hadn't seen Connor do something like this before, is like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to like calm him down and like bring him back into the fold, which is such an older brother thing to do. And is also like a dynamic that's so necessary in this family, because you can't just alien everyone constantly. Someone has to be bringing people together. Um, I thought that was like a really sweet thing that he did. And uh, Connor doesn't have any particular reason to be nice to Roman. So I thought that was, it showed some unexpected character. Yeah, I, I think I think he actually uh, hopes and dreams that uh, his step siblings will love and value him at some point, which they don't, you know. But he's, <laughs> he's still he's holding out. He's dreaming, you know, that one day they're going to come to him and say, "Connor, I have something I need to talk to you about," you know, and be a confidant and. Yeah, I I genuinely felt more sad for him than I had previously. You know, I think once Connor started his political ambitions, I got like more frustrated, you know, with the character. I was like, please stop. But um, but in this moment, I I I began to see more of just the weird position he is in this family and how that keeps it keeps getting weirder uh, as everything goes on. Yeah, just peeling back the layers of that onion <laughs> and. Uh... Um, my last, my last question is just, uh, some curiosity about how Connor's going to handle this Broadway flop. And if we can expect, um, a little bit more, uh, Broadway plotting as we move forward this season. Uh, how much have you seen? How much have you seen? I've seen, I've seen the first few episodes, but this podcast is for episode two only. So yeah, we'll be seeing more. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember where I, um, at a certain point, uh, at a certain point, I decide that Willa is more important than money. Oh, <laughs> that's really beautiful. I was a little worried about those two. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was hard for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, he struggled with it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm proud of him. Um, well, this is great. Thank you so much for giving us a few words on the podcast. Uh, we're all such big fans of the show. I'm glad. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Alan. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> So uh, let's move on to the season three's most psychosexual <laughs> pairing, uh, Roman and Jerry. Uh, where did we find them this week, Sonia? So I was really into Roman's narrative this week because I feel like he, we, we were, I was surprised to see him show, show up at Kendall's and he comes straight from a little powwow with Jerry um, settling into her new digs at Waystar Royco. She's taking a picture of her name on the screen, which is so cute. And then she is sending it to her daughters, because it turns out she has daughters. Um, Roman's like, oh, like your daughters. And Jerry's like, don't talk to me about my daughters, which is like another, I mean, speaking of psychosexual, another fascinating little Mm -hmm. moment between these two people. Um, But then once Roman sort of enters uh, Kendall's orbit, I think what I found really um, engaging about the way Kieran Culkin plays this character too, is he's so cynical and almost like it's, it's like pessimistic about 
beating Logan or superseding Logan. And I think underneath that is this like actual sadness or anger or something, because the way that Kendall's sort of trying to appeal to him and kind of like break him out of, of loyalty to Logan, um, none of it works. You know, Roman's really bought into whatever Logan's selling. And um, the episode begins with a little phone call between Logan and Roman where Logan tells Roman that he needs him, which is not something that Logan does very much. Um, And what I think what he's specifically saying is he wants, you know, he wants Roman on his side, but I think he wants Roman to keep tabs on Jerry. And then now Roman's going over to Kendall at the end of the episode, Roman like reports the whole conversation um, or like many elements of the conversation with Kendall to, to Logan. So there's this really strong like loyalty connection there, but what Roman wants remains confusing and strange. I mean, he, he's happy that Jerry is in charge. I think he seems happy to be able to influence Jerry sort of from the side and then when he's back um when he's back with Logan at the end and once Shiv leaves Kendall she comes back to Logan's fold too he covers for Shiv um you know makes this whole case that Shiv wasn't really interested in in leaving uh Logan's side but was actually trying to convince Kendall to like do all this stuff for the family um and i found myself wondering like what exactly Roman wants. Maybe Roman doesn't a hundred percent know, but I think Kendall not being the favored son, um, and Connor having never really been the favored son, finally gives him a chance to like be the good son, and that seemed to be what was driving him. Yeah, well we see we've seen instances, you know, in this episode where we see Logan kind of be a little kinder, you know. Mm-hmm kind of but but while also manipulating his sons and so Mm -hmm. like roman for whatever reason maybe because he's the baby like seems the most still kind of invested in that particular kind of attention from his father um but i think there's also the jerry loyalty that like i know he's there to spy on her but clearly there's something else happening there too but i did think that like there was a shift in their dynamic that we hadn't seen before i mean yes it was we didn't know that jerry had daughters before this did we I don't think so. Out I don't, of, I don't remember that, was that out detail. Of, it was out of nowhere to me. Um, and yeah, it does really change. I think like it, it may, it answered some questions for me about what her motivations are. Um, you know, she has the family life she's trying to protect, but then it also, I think raised interesting questions about what is this relationship she has with Roman? Is it, is it the mommy, the maternal thing that, that they're both kind of into? Um, or or what else is going on? And then he's yeah, and he's trying to like immediately step into this vizier role, or maybe not even vizier, maybe like, well, now I'm the secret person pulling right. all the strings. You're just the figurehead. And she's like, no, nope, your apprenticeship starts today. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to take your your suggestion about for- forming this committee into advisement. There are some good there are some good points there, but you know, and I think Roman realizing that like he didn't really have her kind of in his corner in the same way he thought or not wrapped around his finger, but like, I think he's, he saw someone malleable in Jerry. And then the minute she gets in that chair, she's like, no, 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 <laughs> I have worked for this independently without the, 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 the last name <laughs> to get here. I mean, probably through nefarious means, but like, I think it's interesting to see Jerry assert. It's not dominance exactly, but a sense of, I actually wanted this. And yeah. I am a proud mom and I'm taking a, you know, a grainy, bad cell phone photo of a TV screen to show to my daughters because my name is in tiny script on this, on the, you know, on some horrible news channel. Like she does care about it. And I think that kind of earnest care seems a little alien to Roman and, and, and maybe makes him more willing to like spy on her and, and, and be kind of colder toward her as we see later in the episode. Right. Of course. I mean, it's a family dynamic that's so different from the family dynamic that he grew up with clearly. Right. Um, and I think, and I think, yeah, the, the way that, that, that adds some context to what sort of fuels his sort of attraction and sort of maybe more nefarious um, intentions with Jerry. I, I think, I, I think that really, uh, that, that like put an interesting tone into it, you know, an interesting mood into the mix. Um, 
And then the other note that was interesting is that uh, during during their little powwow at Kendall's apartment, um, Roman goes up to the roof and calls Jerry. And Jerry says that she thinks, and I, and I again, I wonder, you know, what her what her whole game in her head is. But she thinks that if they were to do Kendall's plan, that none of them, none of the siblings, mm-hmm. would really end up being uh, particularly powerful. And I, th- or or at least they wouldn't be able to maintain a role at the company because they would be burned essentially. Um, zapped. That's the word they keep zapped, using. Zapped. Zapped. Yeah, zapped. Yeah, yeah zapped. Um, and so that that I liked to. I think I think that was an. It goes back to this the rivalry of between Roman and and Kendall. Um, and and between Roman and Shiv too, I guess. But you know, this need to be visible, to be seen, to be the person in on in the throne in some way, um, is ultimately, you know, it, it kind of feels like, um, it kind of feels like the paradox of working together, you know, like, if everyone worked together, it would be a better organization. But because everyone wants their recognition, they're sort of forced into this um, much more contentious yeah. place. Yeah. I think that Jerry introducing that concept, of you guys could scramble over this and betray your father and work all the other shareholders and you know get the Hope Davis on board and whoever else like you know and y- you probably still won't win uh, or you'll you'll win you'll beat your father but you won't n- none of you will take control yeah and I th- I honestly think those siblings have not considered that and or maybe they have in a sort of dim sense but like. Are you telling me we 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 do this coup de gras? We like we, we we come together as four children, adult children, to do this thing and depose our father. You're telling us after all of that, we won't gain control. And Jerry, you know, Jerry sees this as an outsider. She knows what p- other people who are high up at Waystar Royco think about the family, what their aspirations to power are. And I, I mean, she doesn't say it outright, but I would imagine that like some of that thought in her head is like the the board, every, shareholders, everyone is sick of this shit, this dynastic, <laughs> you know, infighting, blah blah blah. We the the true way to forge ahead is not to have a new Roy person at the head of this company; it's to have a whole new management paradigm. And um, I think it's really telling that Jerry is the one to impart that idea to one of the kids, right? Sort someone who is like able to say like the fam you know the family culture of this company is part of what is corroding it. What if we did it? What if we move this out of the personal space and into the professional right, space? Right, right. It is a it's company. A little, it's a little <laughs> pathetic and embarrassing when you put it in that context. It's right. like all you little brats squealing over this you know this toy that your dad has. Like, but there are other adults in the room who like. Uh, want the toy and also would be better handle you know would be better with the toy um and i think it reduces all of them to just like the for for a brief second to the sort of nakedness of all the nepticism it's like none of this has been earned by any of you four kids and uh you know we don't know much about jerry's background we don't know you know what sort of you know chapin to wharton (laughs) pipeline she was in but um yeah i just i don't know i i i I worry for jerry because I think she's like one of the more human characters, or like like mm. um, appealingly human characters on the show. Uh, and I think just a mention of like my daughters and the photo thing, like this world of the show is so oppressively, um, you know, and wonderfully acidic and nihilistic and cruel and backstabbing that when you get a little glimpse of someone's kind of gentle humanity, it's like, oh, of course, right. The outside world, like being in a child's bedroom, you know, and she has all her little knickknacks and posters and it's like, oh, right, like. A hu- like a small human lives here who like cares about the world like I-, I don't want too much of that sensitivity to seep into the show but i think i like when a little uh little light comes in through the cracks yeah for sure um and i think that that trans uh that's a good transition into talking about you know the other power couple that's having a phone conversation on the roof um tom and shiv because you know jerry has this outsider perspective tom Tom is an outsider, but he doesn't really bring perspective. Like he is, he's very much like, how can I be as like deeply embedded into this mess as possible and sort of continue to like tweak the dynamics that, that are already at play. Um, I think what I, what I really loved slash hated was how Tom and Shiv 
are so badly communicating with each other right now. Like that I love you exchange that they have mm. is like painfully awkward stuff, but they really don't have anyone else. Like they really need each other right now. Um and I I sort of I'm sort of enjoying how terrible their marriage is sort of feeling right now because um because it's like, yeah, like, this is the partnership you guys made. You you decided, you know, that these family dynamics and the financial um, benefits of it were, like, more important than your ability to, like, authentically communicate with each other or, like, state your needs or whatever it is. And so it just feels like, I, I don't know, I mean, I, th- I think Shiv was, it was in an interesting place this whole episode um, because Kendall sort of keeps trying to call her to act you know sort of says things like can't human beings make a difference like don't uh isn't this is time to be someone and shiv is not interested in being someone in this episode no no and and i i love the exchange uh between kendall and shiv where he's like i'm you now you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like I'm what you are supposed to be, or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, and, yes. Uh, because he's like, I know you fancy yourself the sort of politically noble one, the 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 the, the, the you know the sort of better thinker among us, the whatever. He's like, but that's me because I did this thing now, which you know spe- we talked about this last week, like how like ultimately vain this whole and arrogant this whole like new Kendall thing is. Um, <laughs> yes, but like, but he's kind of right, at least in how these two people perceive themselves. Like, Shiv is the one who has doubled down and gotten colder and more, you know, um, mercenary and and, and just sort of, like, more calculating about this. And so has Kendall. I mean, he hasn't really changed, but he's at at least putting out this forward-facing thing of, like, you know, um, I'm on the right side of history and we're going to change this company in the way that Shiv, you know, with all her working with Democrats and all that used to be. And I think that's an interesting power flip that Kendall recognized, even if we're all just talking about surface identity stuff and not actual behavior. Right. And and what I what Shiv all all that Shiv can fall back on when she's talking to Kendall is is essentially kind of nitpicky cynicism. Like she you know, he keeps trying to make the case that like, you know, they the company did a bad thing, like we should do the right thing, or like we don't want dad to be in charge anymore because he is like a person that um created this culture of entitled and possibly abusive white men, like, in charge of this company. And, like, she has, like, agreed with those things in the past. But it's, like, there's this incredible obstruction of, like, ego in and, and I don't know, an unwillingness, I think, definitely a loyalty to her father. But there's there's so much blocking her what what we know to be like where her 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 passion lies or at least where her her interests have been before the events of last season um and so it's like it was very interesting watching her kind of just waffle you know it's it, this wasn't that much of an episode for shiv like she doesn't say things that are like particularly uh profound or assertive almost because it's hard to like pin her on anything she's kind of just squirming out of every every niche that people are trying to find for her. I mean, I, I was going to say we saw this last week, um, uh, where she, you know, she goes to see the lawyer, uh, Lisa, right? Um, yeah. And and Lisa basically, without saying it, is like, "You're not like this hero that you seem to kind of think you are." Like Shiv, kind of clinging to this old idea of herself because that was for a while, at least in her adult life, like her identity identity with within the family she was the do-gooder she was the forward thinker whatever um and then you know but we were seeing we saw her kind of sink back into the muck in in last season and, and further in this season or, or kind of questioning her her place in the muck this season um and i think in that way like this is one of the more pertinent and darker portraits on the show like you know if we look outward at in the into the real world at like well, I'm a Democrat, and it's like, right, but you you don't want to raise taxes on rich people or corporations, and you don't want to do X, Y, Z, you want to protect oil companies, you know, like, yes, you can say you're something, but, like, let's actually look at what you, how you act, and, and what you, what choices you make, and and I think Shiv is is kind of emblematic of that realization that, like, political position doesn't necessarily translate to any sort of morality, um, 
mm-hmm. if you're not actually living the principles that you sort of st- claim to stand by, you know? Does that make sense? I mean, am I overreaching there? I don't know. No, I mean, I think because I think what this all call like, it makes me wonder what her, what, who, who was Shiv when she was working for that, for the candidate played by Eric right. Bogosian and stuff. Like, was she making decisions that were closer in line with what she said her moral views were? Because now the, whatever principles those were, those were do not seem to apply to her anymore. Um, and it does make her feel very, um, there's something very suspicious and and sort of shifty about how fast that happened. Um, I want to talk about the the conversation that Logan and Shiv have, but let's let's talk about Greg uh, for a second, and then we'll talk about Logan and and we'll end with that moment um, because Greg starts out with Kendall um, at the beginning and then um, spends the episode kind of on his. Uh, personal a personal uh walkabout of trying to find uh, an attorney um <laughs> it's his little uh green night journey <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he really he really does have like uh he like has challenges he like meets strange figures and has to figure out how to deal Greg's with them. tale is part of canterbury <laughs> tales right <laughs> yeah it's like one of those quests absolutely um i i i love i mean i loved everything that that happened with him, which is essentially that he um, meets a, f- a friend who is a law student, um, kind of uh, tries to uh, tries to have a conversation with the Waystar Royco lawyer, and then ultimately uh, sh- sends that lawyer away. Which is and a really then... sinister kind of Michael Clayton-esque scene with this guy. He's like, how did you get into the building? Like, But you oh. forget that he doesn't own that apartment, you know? Yeah. Of and course. so the sinister guy just showing up and being like, I'm your lawyer now. Like, it's, right. it's just, tell me what you know. Like, spooky. Right. And and even says like, oh, so, well, when the FBI comes looking for you, like, or wants to talk to you, like, we'll just tell them to talk to me. And Craig's like, uh, uh, I don't know if I want that. Could I? Like, you know. And so what I loved about, you know, in addition to just Nicholas Braun hedging his way through every conversation, like, I almost felt so proud of him because i was like this is actually it's very frustrating behavior but it's actually perfect don't commit anything to anyone don't say anything to anyone you're like he he even to tom on the phone he's like i might maybe like didn't have anything to do with this i'm not with them necessarily you know it's (laughs) just really yeah it's kind of spectacular i because i think it is so frustrating but he is doing almost exactly what he needs to to sort of evade being pinned down further um but then what ends up becoming kind of a an unexpected development is that he finds his grandfather um and ends up using the lawyer that his grandfather sets up for him who appears to be just like a rank anti-capitalist who wants to use greg's case not not just to protect Greg. He did say he wants to protect Greg, but he also wants to uh, dismantle capitalism. <laughs> right, make a case that Waystar Royco is like bad for the world. Right. So, well, like really unexpected zag over to that direction. Um, Greg didn't seem super phased by it. He sort of seemed to think that was okay. Um, but yeah, I was curious what you thought about that. I mean, I, I think I think the the grandfather character played by James Cromwell, Logan Roy's brother, has, has always been such a funny character because he he says things throughout this sh- this show where that you're where you're like, yeah, finally someone said it. But he's also like at some point been somewhat complicit in all this. Like he you know he's still still a wash in family money and 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 whatnot. Um, so uh, you know I, I don't know actually how much he does want to protect Greg. I think he's you know sort of using him as a pawn. You know here's our here's our he's like you're a wedge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I so I think that the, he doesn't have too much of Greg's well being in mind there. Um, but I'm curious to see where this sort of like destroy from within plotline goes if it goes anywhere. You know because like Greg is clearly beholden to his grandfather to some extent, and so we'll do his bidding to some extent. You know to only so far, but like. We've also seen, like you said in this episode, how much he kind of equivocates and and, and is like, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, it was funny watching grandfather uh, come hobbling out of the Cooper Union building. I was like, <laughs> yeah. are you are you going to design school? Like, what, what, what's in that building? 
<laughs> yeah, um, un- that was an unexpected thing. I also really loved that he called Kendall a self-regarding popinjay. Um, just, <laughs> yeah. just like fantastic words. I have a feeling Greg doesn't even understand any of them. I mean, I think, uh, I think if we had the D and D alignment chart of Succession, I think, uh, I think Greg might be true neutral because, in a way, he's he's sort of willing to to make peace with anyone who's going to take care of him i think you know i think you know what happened with with logan was this this 5 million dollar deal wasn't enough at the end of last season like he he comes to realize that and so he throws in his his lot with kendall but then he's like walking out of kendall's building and he's on the phone with tom and tom's like oh like what are you up to like blah 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 and greg tells tom that shiv is there you know kind of it, 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 it as quickly as possible sort of tries to um ingratiate himself or 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 let tom know that he's willing to tell him secrets of some kind so he's like allied with tom he's and allied with kendall he's allied with his grandfather he yeah. has he's like he's got tentacles it, it makes me think of i was you know in my 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 worst days in high school where i would you know you tell someone a secret so you can ingratiate themselves yourself to them about someone else, you know? And so you're like, yeah. now, now, now I have all these allegiances, like these kind of secret packs and all that. And it like, it ends up usually blowing up in your face. So yeah. uh, I'll be curious. <laughs> and I, I thought there was a, a funny thing in, in the scene with the lawyer. I believe that was Peter Reichert playing him. Um, yeah. Where Greg is like kind of realizing like, oh, they have a much bigger mission in mind. And he just has to like clarify. He's like, I just am thinking about myself and I don't want to go to jail or get fired. And in that brief moment, you're like, why wouldn't, why would you want this job? Like, like you should get fired. Get like, you know, like, like go be free, go enjoy your night. I mean, I guess he still wouldn't still have the apartment, but like, I, I love when he's with that friend who's a law school student. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, uh, you know, marveling at how nice the apartment is. And again, with like Jerry taking the photo, it's like, right, there are human beings who are like, oh, wow, this is a nice place. You know, like, like a little bit of like perspective is, is nice. But I, Greg just cannot see it. He all this scramble. He's being used by, by, by all sides. And he still doesn't want to. He still wants to stay at the company, which I think is sort of tragic. It, it is tragic. Yes, it, it, what, it is Peter Riger looking looking very cool and sort of, um, uh, yeah. you know, lefty, lefty lawyer, very disorganized. Um, so really fun to to have um, to have James Cromwell back and then also to introduce Peter Riger into Greg's life um, creates like very interesting stoic figures for him to be a complete, you know, <laughs> completely degenerate jerk it near um okay it's one of those actors where it's like how has he not been on the show yet <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it's a natural fit like i i think it's i think it's gonna be exciting yeah um okay and then so then that brings us to uh sarajevo what's happening in sarajevo um which is uh logan uh hugo uh tom who's still out there and mostly just answering phone calls from shiv um and marcia um by uh yama boss's marcia who um, has been sort of uh, summoned, um, and the the I guess she's been summoned to reconcile. Um, Logan reconciles with her in the lobby of the hotel, and then Marcia and her like person, her assistant Celeste, sit down with Hugo and start to hammer out a substantial financial package that is comes that comes with marcia being back on board the numbers i'm going to say might sound very large but (laughs) when you consider i just love the way she frames it um i also like in in a dark way love when they're in the lobby and she's like you know talking about the holly hunter situation from last season and how embarrassed she was and you know and and logan just kind of is like frowns he's like i can't eat shit I, I just can't like like <laughs> I meant that that's his apology is, Ugh. you know, I can't actually apologize. <laughs> that's just not in my nature. And she's like, OK, <laughs> no, it was it was sort of maddening that it worked like that somehow yeah. his complete inability to actually apologize or, or be humble in any way. And she goes for it, I think, probably because she knows that. Celeste and Hugo are going to make it very lucrative for her to do so. 
Um, but it's so, I think it's one of these moments Succession does really well where you see the interpersonal relationship and then you see the financial underpinnings of their relationship in a very, like, physical way. You know, Hugo and Celeste are in the foreground and uh, Marsha gets up from that table and walks back to where Logan is. And of course, Logan's not at the table because he can't be bothered with figuring out the particulars of why the people he loves or quotes, I don't know, purports to love, I don't even know if it's love, are in his life. Like, he can't be bothered with the details. But of course, those but he's within earshot. Like, this is just a right. part of their, you know, I was thinking watching uh, The Last Duel, the movie that's out this week or out last week. Um, uh, where there's just a very calm conversation about like dowry, you know, and it's like that, yeah. like for certain, you know, of old, but also of now, like there, that, that, that money aspect is a part, part and parcel with like supposed romantic coupling, you know, or, or whatever yeah. else. Like yeah. that's just how it works. And, um, I, I guess what I'm curious about with Marsha, cause I've always liked her character as this kind of watchful person on the outside who's probably a lot more involved than we know and sort of, you know, pulling strings here and there is uh she's already a sh a stakeholder to some extent right but like it sounded to me like this negotiation was basically kind of giving her more ownership right to some extent like not 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 like a majority share or anything like that but like more in investment in the company itself or did i misread that no i i i didn't sound like she was getting like a board seat or more of that, because she already has a seat, I think, right? But it sounded like she was going to get something set up for someone else in her family, and that there was, like, her daughter. And then the, there was also going to be, like, a the trust. She was going to be, like, oh, okay. put more in charge of a trust. But, like, I, that, it's a really good question. Like, can she ex expand her footprint on the in that company? And then how does that affect, you know, what happens? From here I, it makes her a player on the board more than she yep. already is, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. In, as Kendall is trying to amass, you know, to get, to get you know, a majority vote or whatever, um, it, it's potential that she could become part of that strategy. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is something that we didn't talk on, but very briefly to touch on it. Um, Kendall says he's going to go talk to his daughter and leaves all the siblings to go have a conversation with Stewie and Sandy in a car. And it kind of feels like we're back on familiar territory because he's back to try to trying to wrangle these votes to get Stewie, his the father. one who keeps getting away, his his great lost <laughs> love that he just, you know. yeah, with a really inexplicably awful name, I think. But um, you know, that's that. Um, so that's this episode, I think. I mean, and overall, I would say I really enjoyed kind of the machinations of it, and made me excited to see what comes next. Well, yeah, I think you know we should close on on this car, this conversation in the car, right? With uh, right. W with Logan and Shiv, where right, basically Logan basically says to her that like you're gonna wear a hazmat suit by the name of Jerry or whatever her last like like <laughs> he he's basically saying like I put her out to like fuck her like 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 she's gonna be yeah she's gonna be cover for all of us, which is like wow I thought he like Jerry was actually one of the ones he liked you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's something, it doesn't bode well for Jerry, it doesn't seem to bode well, but I I wonder, I, I mean, I also think this, uh, this is part of the 3D chess, Logan, uh, or earlier in the episode, Sh Sh it had been pointed out that Shiv doesn't really have a role with the company, so how could she and never has. Never has. So how could she become the CEO if she's never had a role at this company? So Logan's bringing her into the company, which I think is something she wants, and kind of puts her on the path towards CEO. But then, yeah, very explicitly is sort of like, you are going to be, you know, my eyes and ears. You're going to be making sure that you are, like, fixated on Jerry. Because, like, now Jerry is is in charge. Um, and then the whole, the whole way that Logan also advances this to Shiv is, like, he <laughs> goes up to the car where Tom has gone in to sit down next to his wife makes Tom get out and yeah. move to the front seat so that Logan can sit down next to her. Um, and very, um, as he's walking out of the plane, you know, very ostentatiously kind of ignores Jerry, um, who then gets into the car with Roman. So 
again, why why does Logan have to why does Logan have to play this game where he just instated Jerry? Why can't he even pretend to be nice to her? That I'm not so sure about. But he he's mad. He's mad he's no longer in charge. And so he's he's just going to make everyone else feel miserable too. Right. Yeah, such yeah. as his nature and such his children's nature. nature and yeah. <laughs> um but no, I think it's setting up exciting things. Um you know, I, again, I'll be curious to see if we jump in time. Uh but in the meanwhile, uh please do email us your questions, your theories, all that at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Um and Sonia, until we meet uh, with the Roys again next week, where can people find you? Um, I will be a self-regarding popinjay who washes dirty laundry in public, um, just like Kendall Roy. But I will be on VF.com and intermittently on social media as well. Well, I will be uh, remodeling my bedroom to have a balcony and a walk-in closet and an ensuite bathroom, <laughs> just like any 10-year-old in Manhattan should have. Uh, and I'll be tweeting at Rylaws and uh, writing also at VF.com. Um, once again, this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>